When we find ourselves in the doldrums of our faith, Christ seems far away, we're dry and we're barren spiritually. It's oftentimes at those times that we feel like God's never done anything great. As we'll find out today, He has, and we're called to remember it. Join us, Graceful Truth, with Pastor Steve Converse is up next. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, will return us to the book of Haggai today. It's there that we get a gentle reminder from our God that no matter how small the small things may seem, we still need to remember that God is great and we're not to despise the small things of the Lord, yet remember the great things He has done in the past because he is indeed faithful to do them yet again. That's the story we take away from Haggai here today. Please join us, our teacher and pastor now, Steve Converse, with this edition of Graceful Truth. Not only can memories be encouraging, but also be discouraging, but let me tell you this. If God is working, if God is working, no matter how small it may be, it can never be inferior can never be inferior. If God is working, no matter how small it may be, it can never be inferior. It's either God working or he's not working. But if it's God working, no matter how small his work may be, we can't look down on it because it's a work of God. It's the divine plan. It's from the divine sovereign will of God. And we must never despise the day of small things. The fact was that in this case, it was God's will. This was not a license for them to sit back and do nothing. But you see what I'm saying. You see where their hearts are. God is going to bring these good days back. But you know what? They wanted it then. They wanted it now. They couldn't see any progression happening. And the fire of life within them had gradually and slowly begun to fade out because they were discouraged. And here God is trying to reignite it. God is trying to slowly blow his wind upon the little ember of flame in their hearts and in their souls. But all they could do is think back and say, you know what, it's not like the good old days. Let me tell you this, if you get stuck in that kind of thinking, you're in big trouble. I mean, the old days may have been great, but you know what, the old days are not coming back. (laughs) They're gone. You can't bring history back. See, they looked back and all they could see was this old temple. But I want you to see that through God, through the prophet Haggai, he not only told them that they were looking back, but he said, you know what? You need to look up. That's the second point. They needed an upward look. Look at what it says in verses 4 and 5. It says, yet now be strong. He's encouraging them. Don't be focused backward. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the the Lord. Then he says, work for I am with you. According to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? Get your eyes off the past and and begin to look to me. That's what he's telling them. And the first thing he points out to them there in verse 4 is, be strong. They need to, see, when, when when you're beaten down and you're discouraged, you don't feel strong. You feel weak. You feel intimidated. You feel just overrun by your circumstances. But God is calling them to a task here. 
Remember the opposition they faced from the past Samaritans? You can go read about it in Ezra chapter 5. There were two men, especially from the Samaritans, who wrote this king and said, hey, they got no right to build the temple. And So they got down, they got discouraged, and they thought, well, we'll just forget about it. Can't do it now. King said, we can't do it. So people were beginning to whine or complain. So, see... It doesn't matter. In our day, we don't have Samaritans. It could be the world. It could be other Christians. It could be opposition within our own church to maybe something that God is laying on your heart to do. I pray that's not the case. And all it takes is a little bit of opposition so many times. Maybe from somebody who can remember the good old times. Maybe you have a ministry you want to start and you bring it up. and Oh, yeah, we used to do that. Don't let that discourage you. Don't let that discourage you. Go with the dream that God has put in your heart. But what happened? Darius looked back. King Darius looked back into the records and the archives and he found how King Cyrus had given them a decree to rebuild their temple. And even when they were allowed to build it, they couldn't do it because they were continually looking in the rearview mirror. I'm not saying forget memories. Memories are precious things. Encourage yourself in the past. You know, look back and learn from it. But for goodness sake, don't get anchored there because you're never going to go anywhere. I mean, there's a world today that's our generation. This is a generation, and it's just like the last generation. They're on their way quickly to hell unless they repent and come to Christ. And I mean, I thank God for the preachers who have preached in this church over the years and thank God for the decisions that were made to follow Christ. Some of you are, are a result of that. But some of the people who have gone before us are six feet under. They're not going to do anything with this present generation. They can't. Luther's not going to come back and do it. Calvin's not going to do it. Moody's not going to do it. What's that say? We have to do it. We have to have an impact on this, on this local community that God has strategically placed us right here. In Redwood City. And I want to ask you, are we doing it? We have to have an upward look. You can't be discouraged in the work of the Lord. You have to be encouraged. And that just means, you know what, it's, it's all about your perspective. See, God wanted them to look up because he wanted to tell them, be strong. And what's he say? And work. Be strong and work. The two come together. Don't be discouraged in work. That's not going to do anybody any good. That's why I asked you earlier, do you have a joy in your heart when you come together with the saints? Are you looking forward to, hey, maybe I can minister to somebody today. Maybe I can help somebody. Maybe I can get plugged into a ministry. Maybe I can come up with, God to lay something on my heart, whatever. Be part of God's work in a bigger way. He says, be strong and work. He encouraged them. Do you remember when uh, Moses in the Old Testament had finished his work? And he'd done all that God had told him to do and planned for him to do everything. And it was now time to pass the buck to who? To Joshua, right? I mean, can you imagine what Joshua must have felt like? I mean, can you imagine? How am I going to fill this guy's shoes? I mean, we were talking about Moses here. The man that brought the children out of captivity in Egypt. The man of miracles. The man who saw God up on the mount in the burning bush. How can I be like him? Here's what God said to him, what God said to Haggai, what God said to the people, and what God says to you and to me this morning. He says, be strong and of good courage, for what made Moses great will make you great, Joshua. 
and will make Haggai great and will make us great. And here's why. Because he says, for I, the Lord, your God, am with you. He's with us. Do you know that all these Old Testaments, they were just brothers and sisters like, like you and I, who were used of God. Don't ever forget that. Sometimes we put them on a pedestal that's beyond any kind of, you know, uh, we could never reach that. No, they were men and women with a heart bent on serving God with all they have. And the only thing that made them great was that they knew their God. They knew their God was with them and was able to do great things through them. Three times God says to Joshua, maybe he needed to hear it three times, I don't know, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, over and over and over again. And he says it here again in verse 4. He says, Haggai, I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is the title for God. It means the Lord of armies, the Lord of incredible strength. We're talking about God's presence with us. Do we believe that? The people that planted this church, they must have. They must have thought, man, this is something we're going to accomplish for God. You look at all these years later, that there's buildings here, that there's people being ministered to, that the word of God is faithfully going out. Why? It's the simple fact that God is with us. And we're trying to do what God desires us to do. He shows us that he's there in presence, but he also talks about a promise through the covenant in verse 4. He says, when you came out of Egypt, don't forget, you know, I, I made a promise to you. And he delivered it to them. Then, then and, and he, he's still there with us now. He says, verse 5, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains, what? In your midst. Fear not. You read through the book of Revelation, you come to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation. And they're described as this, little having little strength. That's how God describes the book of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation. Having little strength. What does the Lord say, though? That his word and his name were with them and abided with them. I mean, do you understand that as a Christian, we have God with us continually? That we're indwelt with the very spirit of God? The same spirit that stirred these people to do the work that they did. The same spirit that moved Moses to do his stuff and Joshua to do his. No matter what you're going to go through. No matter what it is. It could be illness. It could be financial disaster. It could be family issues. Whatever. I want you to know that God's never going to leave you. He's there with you in his fullness. He wants you to cry out to him and to acknowledge him. It's his presence and his power in our life that he wants us to acknowledge. These people not only looked backward and then they looked upward. At the last point, he asked them to look forward. Look forward. Look at what he says in verses 6 to 9. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while, note that phrase, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasures and all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. He talks of prophecies promises that will come. And he says, you know what? Yeah, I'm with you through all this, but I want to make sure that you understand 
in a little while. That little phrase that he uses there doesn't mean it's going to happen right away. It's not doesn't mean it's going to happen immediately. But it does mean that it's going to happen imminently. Eventually it will happen. It's like the return of Jesus Christ. We believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Not the immediate return, or he'd be here. But the imminent return. In other words, it's going to happen. And it could happen at any time. There's nothing that has to happen on earth before Christ returns. He says here, he talks about shaking of the earth and everything that's in the earth and the heavens. That could happen in our time. It could happen right now. Now what's he talking about here? Some scholars look back to verse 5 and they believe it was when God delivered the people from the land of Egypt. I don't believe that. Some look back at King Darius when he made the edict of the people to allow them to begin to build their temple. I don't believe that either. Some scholars even believe that it's when God brought judgment upon the Persians and then upon the Greeks and eventually upon the Romans and where the Lord was at the time when he was upon the earth and the empire that ruled. I don't think that's either. I think it's something in the future. It's something futuristic. Look back at Zechariah 14 and, and look at verses 4 and 5. Now this is speaking of the Messiah, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, not his first coming, but his second coming. Look at what it says in verses 4 and 5 of Zechariah 14. It says, On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall, and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, and the valley of the mountains shall reach Azal, and you shall flee as you fled from what? The earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. You can read about the same thing in Matthew 24. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 16. Let me just read the portion out of Revelation 16, verses 18 to 20. It says, And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, rumblings peals of thunder, and a great earth, earthquake such as never has been uh, uh, since man on, was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great, and made her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. See, there is a day coming, beloved, as we know in the book of Daniel chapter 2, it tells us, when a rock will be cut out, and, and God will throw that rock, which is Jesus Christ, to smash all the Gentile empires and kings. And Jesus Christ will reign once and for all over all. Now, in Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, it says, now in a little while, in other words, this could happen at any moment. He's going to shake the heavens. He's going to shake the earth. All this stuff will happen. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, actually uses two of these verses from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. Hebrews 12, verse 26, it says, Whose voice then shook, when the, speaking of the Lord's return, shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake the earth only, but also, I'm not only shake the earth, but also heaven. So we see this throughout Scripture. And I think it's, it's an important point because it's something that is prophesied that will 
come and it could happen at any time. Don't sit here today thinking, oh, you got time, you know, you, you got time to come to Christ. Don't worry about it. No, my friend, you, you, you should turn to Christ now because you don't know when he will return. You don't know when it will be too late. You don't know when your life will be snuffed out. And look at the hope in verse 7 back in Haggai. He says, and I will shake all the nations, but the desire of all nations shall come. What's the desire of all nations? Some people say, oh, it's talking about the millennial temple. May have an inference to that. What's the desire of all nations? Isaiah chapter 2 tells us that the desire of all nations is universal peace. That's what it says. Isaiah tells us again in chapter 11, verse 4, that the desire of all the world is just government. Isaiah also tells us, and the writer to the, uh, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, that the desire of the world, whether they realize it or not, is the knowledge of the true God. It says the world doesn't want our God because they don't believe that he's the true God. See, there's a day coming when the desire of all nations shall come. The Messiah will come to his temple. The Messiah will inhabit the earth. And the glory that is talked about in verse 9, that Shekinah glory, will fill God's temple in God's world, and all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. Can you imagine what an incredible day that will be? Do you know something? This prophecy has already been fulfilled in some measure because in verse 9 we read that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former What he's saying is, in other words, that this house that was being built at this time, Zerubbabel's temple, the one that they looked down on, he says even though it wasn't dripping with gold like Solomon's temple, God says that that temple is going to have more glory than Solomon's. And you say, well, how is that? He's talking about Zerubbabel's temple. He's not referring to the millennial temple. Did you know that Herod's temple, this is interesting, was a refurbished, Zerubbabel's temple. And in Luke chapter 2, we read a story where our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, in the form of a baby, was taken into that temple, and the temple saw the desire of all nations as a baby. And Christ came to it. Did he not say that he was greater than even Solomon? Incredible. And he is the greatest, and the greatness of his being filled that temple. And that's what's going to happen in the Millennial Temple. He will fill it with all his glory. God says that he will bring true peace to all the nations. Did the Lord not say that he was the desire of all nations when he spoke in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38? He said, in the last day, and by the way, what we're talking about here in this text is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. He says, in the last day, that great day of the feast... The same day, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, what? Let him come to me and drink. Do you understand what they're, they're seeing here? They're running down to the, the river, filling the little gold canteen with water and bringing it back to the altar and pouring it on it. And Jesus, on the very same day, years later, would say, You know what? I am that living water. Drink of me and you'll never thirst again. Beloved, we need to understand that we are God's temple. God no longer lives in tents or temples made with hands. He doesn't dwell here in this building. He dwells in you and he dwells in me if we're saved. That's what the Bible says. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, 
Three quick things in closing. I want to ask yourself as Christians here today and as the temple of God's Holy Spirit, is he being manifested through your body in the earth in which we live? Is he being manifested in the way you live your Christian life? Or could Ichabod be written upon your lives? The glory has departed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 to 20. You can read those on your own, but Paul encourages us to take away, like these Eugenians, the rubble, the rubble away from the foundation of the temple, the rubble of sin, the debris that's in our lives. Clear it away. Get rid of it. And then he says in Romans 8.29, secondly, not only is God manifesting your body, ask yourself that question, but he wants us to understand that each of us is a stone in the building. We're so important. But we'll only fit in the building in God's design, if we're continually being shaped and fashioned and formed into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that happening in your life on a daily basis? Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 3 that, uh, that everything in that building, everything, that means everything in the life of you as a believer must be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, how's your building going? <laughs> how's our building going? Are we doing all that God would have us to do with all our might, with all our strength? Do we know that he's with us? As we look at that undaunting task, I mean, it's an incredible task that's before us to take the blessed message of the gospel out to a lost and dying world and see souls and hearts transformed for Christ. Father, we ask this morning that you would make this message personal to us. Each one in this room. Lord, truly these people were discouraged. And Haggai came with an encouraging message telling them that God is with them. Fear not. Lord, I pray that whatever we set our hands to do wouldn't be something that we just think up on our own. I think this is a good idea. I think maybe we should do this. But Father, that we would hear from you first. That we would spend time in prayer. That we would come together and really ask you to divinely show us how we can have a better impact, how we can have a bigger impact here on this peninsula, which so needs to hear your word. No, there's no greater place, really. You've strategically placed us here among just the armpit of sin, really. But we have a message of hope. We have a message of forgiveness. And so many of us of our lives have been touched and transformed by your, your grace. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us not to lose heart, but to be encouraged. And Father, we thank you, and we pray that you would just go before us in all these things. And I pray for those who have yet to maybe commit their lives to you. Lord, I pray that you would make it a real, a real decision that they have to come to. Lord, that they would realize this isn't just some spirit up in the sky. But Father, you're a real person, and you desire a real relationship. And Father, we ask that you would just move and work in the hearts of everyone here. We pray that we do all that we can to further your gospel for the cause of Christ in your glory. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. 
If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.